is that uh, we play just a small part in uh, praising you, that uh, for generations upon generations, people have praised you, and for uh, should you tarry, for generations upon generations after us, um, uh, people will continue to praise you. And so help us run our portion of the journey well. Help us steward the next generation well. Help us be in, just completely infatuated and in love with who you are so that when others look at us, they will see a people marked by your goodness and your grace and your mercy, Lord. We can't do this without you. So we ask for your help. And we trust that you will be faithful in that, Lord. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. Um, today, I figured it was uh, different anyway, so they just make the whole day a little bit different. Um, and so I uh, want to just... My hope is that at the end of today, uh, you're going to find over the next several, several weeks as we gather together that... Um, that we, uh, my goal is to help us establish a common language around what we do and why we do it so that um, as we move forward into the next chapter of Connection Church that I believe God is calling us into, uh, I really believe with all of my heart um, that if we put some unity behind that, we're all speaking the same language, we're all headed in the same direction, uh, I think God will do something really beautiful out of it. So uh, I... I'm not handy, just period, full stop. I'm not handy. Uh, but here's what I do know, okay? If you asked me <coughs> to uh, mix up some concrete, <coughs> there is a certain uh, way that you need to go about things when you mix up concrete, okay? Step number one uh, is concrete in some, I mean, it's malleable, but on some level is uh, liquid. And so when you mix up concrete and then you pour it, there's a certain, uh, certain level at which it will kind of flow and, and fill in gaps and cracks and that sort of thing. And so if you have a preferred area that you want the concrete to end up in, you should probably build some guardrails. <coughs> um, I'm sure um, you guys have had some sort of experience, but one time I was on a mission trip and we were in uh, Harabacoa in the Dominican Republic. And I was leading uh, some students, and this was in my role as a missions pastor at First Church. And we were building a playground. There was this organization that took playgrounds that were getting torn down uh, stateside, and they uh, powder-coated them, completely refurbished them, made them new, and then shipped them uh, and so that schools around the world could have really like high-quality playgrounds, and it was a really cool experience. Except there was one day that the guy we were with, um, he wasn't with our church, and he was, uh, he was a character. He was a character. And so he was very, very intense about um, 
uh, about building this playground. And uh, so we drill. He's got the whole master plan uh, in his brain. And, and we, we drill, the, or not drill, we dig the holes by hand, all these students. And uh, we start to pour uh, concrete down in. And then he goes, all right, well, uh, we're going to need to let that set. So we'll come back the next day and continue to do it. So we come back the next day, and, uh, and he starts to lay out the different pieces of, of uh, playground equipment that we're then going to bolt to these posts that we put in the ground, these metal posts. And he starts to lay it out, and I see this look on his face, and I go, I don't, I don't like that look. I don't like that look one bit. I don't know if anyone is judging my concrete-making skills either, but I have no idea what consistency this is supposed to be. Uh, so I'm just going to keep adding until it looks good. Um, I said at the beginning, I'm not handy. Okay? Uh, he starts to get this concerned look on his face. And I go, like, I go up to him kind of discreetly under the students, or without the students knowing. I go, hey, listen, what's, what's the deal? What's going on here? And he goes, all of these, because we'd already done some of the poles. He goes, all of these poles are supposed to be five feet this way. So the entire day, I don't, no one complained about it too much. But the entire day, my students spent with pickaxes and sledgehammers uh, digging bigger holes around the holes that were already dug and uh, breaking up cured concrete so that we could move all of these posts uh, this way, five feet. And it was the most painstaking thing I've ever encountered because it was like, man, if you just would have paid attention and been intentional uh, the first time around about where we were supposed to go, where these were supposed to be, this would have saved us hours of heartache. And yet, High school students are resilient, and their backs are far better than mine, but still, that's like a lot of, a lot of pain to endure. Uh, and so chances have it, if I told you, I need you to pour some concrete for me, my hope is that you would be somewhat intentional about where said concrete went. Like if I said, I, it can't go over here, that you'd build some sort of guardrails and framework. Because once you start to mix, once you start to pour, once you start to the, the process of activation and everything going on, uh, it, there's only a certain time that that concrete's going to be malleable for. There's only a certain, like the clock starts ticking right away, and you have to work fairly quickly to get things where you need them, to get them smoothed out, and, and to, to adjust things on the fly. And yes, it's, nothing's permanent. You can take some pickaxes, you can take some sledgehammers, you can take all of this stuff in and bust it up, but it is far more difficult than, than it needs to be. Now let me take all of this and bring it over to uh, why I'm mixing up concrete this morning. Because the moment a child is born, the moment a child is born, a clock starts ticking. And I don't want to be alarmist this morning. I don't want to be like blow, blowing things out of proportion. But, uh, but with all of us, the moment we were born, a clock started ticking. 
I'm going to reference it later on, but there was a, a report done by several research organizations, Barna Group and the like, and it, and it was called the Great Opportunity Report, and it really focused on the next generation of the church and, and what the church needed to do to, to set the next generation up for success. And there was a statistic in there that said, if you are going to, as an adult, stick around and stay involved in this whole Jesus thing, then the, the chances are exponentially greater that if you're going to say yes to Jesus, it's going to happen between the ages of 4 and 14. 4 and 14. And, and that it's not totally impossible. It's not totally uh, out of the question. But the, the reality is that once you get past 14, some things are starting to be molded and some things are starting to cure and your, your worldview and all this stuff is starting to be set in place. And that it's not impossible to change it, but, uh, but it sure is going to be a whole lot harder. You see, I could take this, and if I had the precision of a craftsman, I could really... Make a go at this. I can, I can really, uh, I, I've seen some people do some really creative stuff, uh, and, and yes, it can be done, but it is a whole lot harder to do after things are already set in motion. It's a whole lot harder to do once things are already solidified and cured and set in place. And so as a church, we would be unfaithful to our calling. And we would be really, really unwise if our end goal is to make disciples of all nations and to make disciples of those around us. We would be really, really unwise and to exert all of our efforts on ministry to adults. Now, listen, I fully believe with all of my heart that adults need to know the goodness and the love of Jesus. Like if people are walking far from God, it is every bit baked inside of me that I want to introduce them to, to the love and the goodness of Jesus. But why would we not turn our eyes to the next generation uh, coming up behind us to say they're still in this malleable shape. Like they still have this ability to be molded and shaped, not in a manipulative way, not in a way that goes like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to form and shape you so that we're popping out of the church all of these like-minded, like we're, we're going to conform them to, be, uh, to, to look just like one another and just like us. No, not like that, but because we have encountered the goodness of God. We've encountered the power of the resurrection. And so for us, for us to not disciple kids, for us to not disciple the next generation in a way that points them towards that goodness and that same power, what a missed opportunity. You see, when I was growing up, I, I like to call myself uh, something of a church rat. My, my family was super faithful to uh, get me introduced into the gathering of believers, and I, I wholeheartedly believe wholeheartedly believe that is because of my family's investment and the investment of others around me that it, like I'm the person I am today because they willingly and intentionally invested in my life when I was young. I think of people like Mindy Hoffman. Mindy Hoffman was my children's pastor. And Mindy Hoffman 
introduced me to the glory and the goodness of the gospel. But I think the thing that as I look back on my uh, time with, with Pastor Mindy, I think the thing that is so ingrained into me is she, she introduced to me that like this Jesus thing, it is not complicated. It is very, very simple. Trust, trust in the power of the resurrection for the forgiveness of sins and do what Jesus says. Obey him. Trust and obey. It's not, it's not hard. All you got to do is admit that you need Jesus' help and, and, and he'll bring you from death to life. And as, as I look back on Mindy, she intentionally, week after week, sought me out, invested in me. I think of people in my time in student ministry like Krista Pope. Krista was, is, to this day, the definition of intentional investment. She is a presence in the lives of those she is walking alongside. So much so that she, she uh, from Columbia City, it was several weeks ago, but she sat in here with us because she wanted to be an intentional presence in our lives, discipling me to this day. I think of people like Paul Meyer. Paul Meyer was one of my, uh, one of my small group leaders um, in student ministry. And Paul had this way of exciting me and opening me up to the reality that the gospel and the goodness of Jesus and the truths of Scripture could invade. They weren't just some like uh, moral ascent to get to. It wasn't some like lofty idea, but it had te- uh, tentacles in every area of my life. That, that as he coached me in wrestling and, and football and all this sort of stuff, he's like, no, the gospel matters here too. It doesn't just matter at church. It matters in every single area of your life. I think of people like my dad. I don't want to exclude my mom, but my dad was, uh, was uh, one of my small group leaders. He, he could have very easily gone, you know what, um, uh, I'm going to step back, let someone else do it. Uh, maybe he knew how bad I was and he felt bad doing that. I don't know. But uh, he didn't take a step back and go, I'm going to let someone else di- disciple my kid totally. I'm just going like, to take a back seat to this. No, he, he was all through middle school at our youth group. He was one of my two small group leaders who loved me, discipled me, taught me about uh, how good it was to engage with God through Scripture. My dad, to this day, I can't... I'm sure he's lost count at this point. But every morning, my dad wakes up, and the first thing he does, he goes and sits at the table and uh, bowl of shredded wheat, sliced banana on top, and reads scripture. And has read through the Bible. Just like starts at the front, starts reading, goes through the whole thing. And I cannot count the times he's gone through scripture that way. An example for me as my faith was being formed. And then I think of high school. People like Kent Longenball and, and Josh Poling and Matt Geiger uh, more small group leaders who intentionally invested in me when I was between the ages of four and 14, intentionally invested in me, taught me what it meant to be a godly presence, taught me that uh, I didn't have to lose all of my masculinity to follow Jesus, taught me that I could uh, love others well, that I could love my future wife, now Amanda, that I could love, uh, love, love people and love God and, and still be a part of the world, like still be engaged in the world around me. And then I think of people like uh, my, one of my youth pastors, Melissa Geiger. Melissa was, again, faithful to give, she saw something inside of me. I don't know what it was because I was squirrely as all get out, but saw something inside of me and said, I'm going to give you opportunities to lead. And yes, we're going to put guardrails up, and yes, we're going to make it a, a safe place for you to fail, but we're going to give you opportunities to lead so that uh, we can cultivate whatever this calling is inside of you. And I said this at the beginning, but I believe with all of my heart that I am 
who I am today because of the patient and faithful investment of those in my life. And I'm sure if we went around this room, those of us that, uh, that maybe grew up in a faith gathering, you might be able to say uh, the same thing. Like, I had people who invested in my life when I was young so that I knew how good Jesus was. And scripture's full of the same sort of recounting. I love that last song uh, because it sings of uh, like the praises that we're singing. And we're singing it with like generation after generation after generation. And from one generation to the next, like we're declaring God's goodness. And we talked about this when we were dedicating uh, our children, uh, the Shema. This example that God set before them that he says, remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Like love God with every single bit of who you are. And don't just do that, but part of the mandate to do that is he says this. He says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Meaning, again, Talk about this all the time. Talk about how your life is centered around the one reality that we are to love God with every single part of us. This is central to our identity. In the New Testament, the early church context, um, Timothy is another example that we see. Timothy was a young man who had fallen in love with the person of Jesus completely captivated by, by Jesus' beauty and by God's goodness and the truth of the gospel. And he had surrendered his life, so much so that he had surrendered his life uh, to serving him. And Timothy helped lead the church in Ephesus that Paul wrote to, that when we get the book of Ephesians, and uh, had an incredible impact on his, on his ministry. Uh, but where did it all start? It started with the investment, we're going to read this in a little bit, the investment of two older women in his life that, that said, I'm going to come alongside you, I'm going to disciple you, I'm going to train you, I'm going to love you, I'm going to walk with you, and, I, and I'm going to implant something in you uh, that is a very sincere faith, and I'm going to implant something in you that you're not going to be able to shake when you get older. says this, Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, night and day, as I consistently remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that you may be filled with joy. And then Paul says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith. This faith that is very real, very tangible, very applicable to your everyday life. Which first, the sincere faith, faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded, because of what I've seen in your life, Timothy, I am persuaded that it lives now in you. So it first lived in his grandmother. Then it was passed along to the next generation to his mom, and then it's passed along to the next generation, uh, to Timothy, and then Paul exhorts him later on in the same letter. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So Paul's saying this started with someone before you, and they pass it along to someone else, and then, they, and then it was sincere and real inside of them, and then they pass it along to you, and don't you dare hoard that gift. Don't you dare hoard the goodness of the gospel that you've experienced in your life, because you need to then uh, let it infect every single part of who you are, and then I want you to go and trust it to other people. 
And this is our goal as a gathering. There are far too many churches who are far too concerned with institutional survival. Meaning, I don't want the lights to go off at 2915 Townway Road. I don't want the lights to go off under the banner of what we call Connection Church. I, like, I've invested in this. I don't want the lights to go off here. And this is a plea from Paul to Timothy and my plea from, from me to you today that is saying, I, yes, institutional survival is a thing because there's some element of, like, we have to exist to do what God has called us to do. Uh, I don't want to completely disband. But uh, this command to disciple intentionally the next generation, to point them towards the goodness and the beauty of Jesus, is far, far bigger than institutional survival. This is about the life that we have experienced, that we have trusted in Jesus and been brought from death to life. And yes, we want this to be perpetuated, but we want this to be perpetuated not so that Connection Church can continue to exist for generations upon generation, but we want this to be perpetuated because there are children, there are people who are living apart from the good news of who Jesus is. And we are at any time one generation away from this whole thing folding. And when I say this whole thing, I don't mean Connection Church. We are one generation away from the church just washing their hands of all the responsibility of investing in the next generation. We are one generation away from the world being absent of the hope of Jesus. And this is why, as Connection Church, I am committed and we are committed to being a church that invests intentionally in the next generation. Because we have an opportunity right now, as kids are still malleable and, and, and able to be formed in a far easier way, we have an opportunity to invest in them and share with them the hope and the beauty and the goodness and the truth of the gospel and introduce to them the way of Jesus and what it looks like to form and fashion our lives around who God is and how he's asked us to live. And wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it do them far better if we invested in them at this stage then uh, trying to go to all of our coworkers and invest in them at this stage, where yes, they can be molded, yes, they can be shaped, yes, they can be transformed to look like the person of Jesus, but it's, it's a whole lot harder. It's a whole lot harder. A lot of times with the chisel comes a lot of pain. Those aren't fun lessons to learn. There's a lot of stuff I wish would have been chiseled away when I was a kid at this age. As opposed to, yeah, I'm being chiseled to look like Jesus, but it hurts sometimes. It hurts. We have to take our ministry and our obligation to perpetuate the gospel to the next generation seriously. We just, we, we have to. I think this is all kind of summed up in the proverb um, which, which Proverbs gives us like a, an image or a, a glimpse in on what reality is and says this is how God intends things. And it says start children off on the way should, they should go. And when they're old, they won't turn from it. 
I mean, that's a, that's a general reality that's, that's being fleshed out in this research that we see, that if you, you invest in kids when they're young uh, and, and point them towards the truth and the hope of Jesus, when they get older, uh, they're far less likely to walk away from it. Now, I talked about how we're one generation away from, uh, from being like a Jesusless society. If that happens... Uh, I hear every sequential generation, as one generation moves up to the older slot and the new one slides in underneath them. Every generation says, like, can you believe kids these days? They're so off the walls. First off, the generation before you said that about you, so just get that in your head. And, uh, and as every generation moves up and we see generations walk away from Jesus, I don't think the blame of that falls on that younger generation. I really don't. I think every ounce of the blame of, of the, each new generation walking away from Jesus falls squarely on the generation that went prior. I just do. I believe that. Because we failed in our mandate we failed in our obligation to point that younger generation to the beauty and the hope uh, and the goodness of the good news of Jesus. We have failed to, to, to live a life that is above reproach. We have failed to, to model for them what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so that responsibility falls squarely on our shoulders. But the good news is it's not too late. It's not too late. They're, they're malleable. We haven't completely screwed up yet. We can still do something about it, but it takes an intentional investment. And I just really believe with all of my heart, I dream as I look about what the, the future of this church could be, I dream about a church, and we're headed there. We really are. That is just teeming, brimming with kids running around everywhere. I dream of a church that takes their obligation to disciple the next generation seriously. That's not completely like taking the responsibility away from the parents. That's not saying we'll do all the discipling, you just stand back. But that in partnership with moms and dads, in partnership with families, we're able to say we're going to do our part, you do your part, and at the end of the day, we're going to point these young people towards Jesus. But that takes everybody. That takes everybody. That takes everybody to say, I see a sincere faith inside of you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disciple that. I'm going to help grow that. I'm going to help nurture that so that then you can pass that on to someone else. The perpetuation of the gospel rests squarely on our shoulders. And so I want to invite uh, your friends and mine, Jordan and Maria, and I want us to chat uh, real quickly uh, about what this means for Connection Church specifically, uh, of what it looks like for us to invest in the next generation. Because uh, in this season, we have set Jordan Lang aside. We've set him aside to, to say, you are to minister to, uh, to the middle and high school students of our church. We believe that much in it, that we, we've set someone aside. And same with Maria, that, that we say we believe so much in the children of our church, Kids Connection, that we have set you aside for such a time as this so that you can uh, kind of focus our efforts around what it looks like to uh, invest in the next generation. So, you already got the microphone. I'll sit down with you. Tell me, Jordan, 
why are you passionate about discipling the next generation? This is something as you talk to Jordan, you'll, you'll see it, uh, you'll hear it. It comes up in almost every conversation we have that he is passionate about discipling students that they know, see, and love Jesus. So Jordan, tell me why are you so passionate about discipling the next generation? Well, I'm going to say ditto to everything that was on his iPad and that he said, but I'm going to say some more things, obviously. Can't give a preacher a microphone and he doesn't <laughs> preach. So he had mentioned before about um, all the different people in his life that had an impact um, in their middle school, high school age. Um, I'm going to go a step further. If you have had a positive in a person with a positive influence pointing you in the way of Jesus during your middle school and high school years, could you stand up for me? Like if you've had, whether it's a youth pastor, youth leader, someone that invited you into a small group in their home or whatever, um, looky there. Some, okay, you guys can sit down now. Thank you. As we look back and we observe times in our lives as we've grown up in the church and as we've gone through Kid Connect, like kid ministry, youth ministry, and it's been some of those adults that they were busy, they had their own families, their own things going on, and yet they saw this mandate to invest in the next generation to welcome kids into their homes, to have intentional conversations with them, and to welcome them into their space, and to be open to the reality of the gospel, and how that can radically change a life forever. And I know for me, there have been people in my life that when I was in high school that walked alongside of me and were so gracious and loving and pointing me in the way of Jesus that I am forever indebted to men like Eric Wilhelm and my dad, who was also my youth pastor and lead pastor. So I got a lot of my dad. <laughs> but I'm so grateful uh, because he showed me the way of Jesus. And there are so many other people that I could talk about. Um, but this takes all of us. We have the next generation in our midst here at Connection Church, we have a middle school and a high school youth group of individuals who are passionately pursuing Jesus and how they can go out and make a difference in the world, not just because the world's messed up and they want to make things just better, but we live in a broken world and our students want to go into the world to be the light of Christ and to change their environments for the sake of the gospel. And I think it's a darn shame if we can't come alongside them and help them. It's a shame. And we have this opportunity, church family, to be able to come alongside these young people, to love them, show them the way of Jesus. Because like what Jordan said, we are just one generation deep. And if you read through the entire Old Testament, God is a God of the generations. When God was calling Moses, he said, Tell them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is sending you into freedom. That when God describes himself first in Exodus, he says that he will maintain his faithful love to a thousand generations. God is a God of generations. I firmly believe that and will forever believe that. And I, I hope you do too. Uh, Maria, uh, same question for you, but first, um, 
because I've heard so many comments about it today. Where are your glasses? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Guys. Why are you passionate about oh the next generation, goodness. Maria? Let me see what I have to deal with. This is... You guys thought they would have to deal with me, but it's wrong. I have to That's deal with them. Way around. Um, okay, well, if I speak from the gut and passionately, um, I'm not going to be able to think straight. So I'm going to just kind of go through a few of the things I have written down. Okay, so um, obviously my passion for being involved in the kid ministry is spurred by my own kids, right? Um, but even before then, I, so I went to college to be a teacher, and I never had a full-time class of my own, but I spent a couple years subbing full-time. So I got a taste of a lot of different kids in our county. And at the beginning, I remember leaving, like, saying, man, these kids need Jesus, like, in an exasperated way. But then later, you know, a few months in, I'm like, no, like, these kids need Jesus, <laughs> like, for real. Um, and then wasn't too long after that when we started having our own kids. And, of course, that became an incredible part of my life was just making sure that my kids not only knew the Bible, um, could answer questions, could find their verses, whatever, um, which was probably what more of what the focus was of my upbringing was like head knowledge of the Bible. Um, but incredibly important to me to instill in them and in all of your children now the relationship with God that I think we can pour in hours and hours of sword drills, which are so fun, and, um, you know, Bible trivia and things like that. But when they leave kid ministry and they come upstairs or they go out into the real world, you know, like nobody cares if they know the order of the books of the Bible or, you know, things like that. They, what they see is the relationship that your kids put off um, that they have from, with Jesus. And so um, that's really important to me. Also, like kids, like kids before they get to Jordan are, I mean, when they get to you too, but they're so bold and they're so, like, uninhibited by whatever, like, restraints us adults have up here, you know. Um, and so it's so freeing for me spiritually to be down there with them, seeing them twirl around a bit during a worship song or, you know, raise their hands and just... Following the motions, you know, you've seen us do a couple of our worship songs up here. Following the motions and not caring, not caring that they just slap their friend in the face because they are singing <laughs> to Jesus. And nine times out of ten, their friend doesn't even care either. We just politely step out of the way. <laughs> Let the spirit move. Um, and, um, okay, so one of the things I was thinking, I jotted down a few things while you were talking, that I just want to touch base on is that... Um, if you talk to Brandon, specifically my husband, um, I share his thoughts, but not as vocally maybe, <laughs> about the world today. <laughs> and um, he and I both really, really believe that if we want to see change happen, it's going to happen through our kids. 
And the only way our kids are going to know how to act and how to respond and how to proceed in life is by us living by example. Um, I've seen way too many things come out of my kids that I'm like, yikes, didn't know you picked that up from me. Like, totally mirror image of me, right? I want, I want to notice the good, right? I want to see the good come from the examples that we have set as a church. Um, on a personal level, Brandon and I rely a lot on this church to help us, to support us, and it's only through your support for us in this position that we are able to still go home and pour into our own kids. Um, so I do want to say thankful, thank you for that. Um, also, over the years, I think you guys, this is my, I think this is my last thing, guys. <laughs> um, over the years, you know, Brandon and I have had a big passion for kind of bridging that generational gap. Um, and this was one of our things that like, yeah, let's, let's step into this role because they're the next generation. We're the one right above them. Let's pour into them so that as they get older and up here, they still feel comfortable to come to us. They still feel comfortable um, receiving advice and maybe some hard truths from us um, that we have that relationship started from the very beginning and brought up. Um, and one, can I just like lay out one hard thing? <laughs> okay, okay. One hard thing, when you were saying about the, um, you know, the kids these days and how it lands squarely on the generation before them, that is true, but also there's, like, I think you pointed out, like, three, like, the young generation, the middle, and then the older, like, let's not forget that the older is, like, don't check out on us. Like, we need you. Those kids need you. And part of kid ministry is also the support for the parents, too. And so you don't feel like you can hold a baby. You don't feel like you can relate to junior high or high school kid. Fine. But, like, let us set you up with a parent who needs support. Let us set you up with um, a family who needs prayer or, or something like that. But don't check out on us. There's, okay. there's no such oh, thing. No, no, no. There's, I got one. There's no such thing as empty nesters in the kingdom of God. Like, we, right. we all are invested intentionally uh, until the end. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so give me the uh, I feel passion. I feel the excitement. I feel the intentionality behind what God is doing through you guys and through the ministry to the next generation. What are? Give me the one minute here specifically. And I'm going to say this, but then also know that I'm going to let Jordan and Maria uh, leave before everybody else. And they're going to go in front of the stained glass window. And they're there, clipboards in hand, ready to, for you guys to get invested in ministry to the next generation. So give me the one minute. Um, here are specific ways that you can get involved serving the next generation. Okay, so um, our current setup, we've got Kid Connection, which is preschool through sixth grade, and then we have nurseries, which is zero through three. Um, and when they turn four on their birthday, they come in to the preschool class. Um, so we have nursery volunteers. Those 
first of all, if you work directly with our kids, we require background checks. So just say that up front for your knowledge and your reassurance that everybody is checked out. Um, so we've got nursery volunteers. Those are just, I don't want to say babysitting. That sounds bad. But you're just watching the kids, making sure everyone stays safe, right? And cuddling with the, the little ones. Um, but for the older groups, we have probably more detailed needs. We first gather for worship in a large group setting. So someone to kind of emcee that. Um, I make it really, really easy, don't I? <laughs> that seemed nervous. No, no, no. Um, and then we break out into small groups, and so we need small group leaders. Um, and those two positions can overlap a bit too. And then I would really like to have somebody standing down by our check-ins, specifically to help volunteers, um, or sorry, visitors, get to where they need to get. Um, we have sound and visual uh, positions available. Also easy. Um, and then also, something new that I would really, really, really like help with is um, during the week, if somebody could come in, or a couple people, maybe a team, to help me set up the classrooms for a Sunday morning. Gathering supplies, putting them on the cart, getting them in the rooms, that type of thing. Those are mine. Good. Also, just real quick before I, my minute starts, pause. Um, are you allowed to I, do that? Yeah. Hey, I, I got right. the mic. I can do it. Yeah, take but it uh, just to emphasize that this is like all of us working together in unity. Like connection students will thrive when Kid Connection thrives. And when we thrive, then this church family will thrive. Just wanted to say that really quick. And then also Frederick Douglass said it is far easier to raise strong children than to repair broken men. Just wanted to throw that one out there. But ways you can get involved, number one, if you have a phone that has a reminder or an alarm, what I want you to do, even right now, get it out, set it weekly, Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m., and to pray for our youth ministry. So you can do that now while I'm talking. That's okay. I know you're going to feel like a good Christian and pay attention, but you can do that right now. And that is something that each and every one of us with a smartphone can do. Or if you don't have a smartphone, I guess you could set your alarm at home to 6 p.m., but that could be really unique. But, and I honestly believe it, that prayer is our primary work, and I believe in the power of prayer. And if you can pray for our student ministry, uh, that will be awesome. But if maybe Holy Spirit is leading you and prompting you to get involved in our ministry, then you can volunteer during our ministry time. Uh, if you meet me out back, I could give you more specific ways that you can get involved in this third one, which is something that is still in development, but I want to get it out there. Uh, I'm looking for some potential vocational mentors because we have high school kids that are feeling this calling, whether it's to be a pastor, missionary, or to be an accountant, to be a teacher. And I would love for people in our midst to engage the workplace with the good news of the gospel, who are faithful to the gospel, faithful in the workplace, to be able to mentor some of our high school kids who are excited about that vocation but want to see what it looks like to actually bring the gospel into the workplace. And so if even if you're retired and someone in our midst is like wanting to be an accountant or a missionary or whatever, 
And if you have capacity to meet every so often with them, to pour into them, not just vocationally, but also with the gospel, um, I would absolutely love that. Um, So those are just a few ways, which if you still haven't set your reminders yet, we still have time in service. You can totally do that. Sunday, 6 p.m. Unless you set reminders like I do, which is remind me every uh, Sunday at 6 p.m. to pray for our students. If you have your phone on you, that would have worked. I don't. Okay. I don't. Uh, Here's what I'm going to say, and then I'm going to send them on to beat you back there. I want to publicly say how much we honor and value Maria and Jordan. Um, for their investment in the next generation. Um, And we believe, I believe, and I'm telling you now to believe, that we have set them aside, not because we're annoyed when kids are in our presence, not because we, like, uh, think that this is lame and we want to give them a cool opportunity to do something neat, but we have set them aside because we believe so strongly in all of these truths that we talked about today that we believe that the way forward is to disciple the next generation well, to point them towards Jesus, and that they'll then be able to do the same thing. And so we honor you guys. We're thankful for you guys. We're thankful for your work. We're thankful for all you do for uh, the congregation as a whole and then for the next generation. So I wanted to say that publicly. This is not, Maria said, this is not babysitting per se. It's like there's more to this. There's more to this, and we value it. So you guys head back. I'm going to pray for us. And then um, I just, I really do encourage you that if you are feeling some promptings or you want to explore it um, or just talk to them, figure out how you can get plugged in, there's a lot of people bearing the weight of the children's and student ministry, and it'll get far easier for a lot of us if we can divide equitably amongst all of us the work. Many hands makes light work, and this is important work. So let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful uh, for these people. Uh, We're thankful for how you've gathered us, how you've uniquely wired and equipped us. And we're thankful for um, the opportunity as we have been invested in, we're thankful for the opportunity to then invest in the next generation. Lord, forgive us for the times where we might not have taken that seriously. But we do. We surrender to you uh, today. And just ask that through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit that you'll equip us with everything that we need to do what you've asked us to do. And God, we trust that you'll be with us. We trust that you'll be with uh, the next generation. Help us point them towards your goodness and your grace and your mercy and the gospel. And we will give you all the honor and glory and the praise. Thank you for the opportunity to love and lead well. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.